and with that kind of knowledge, I can move on. In verse 8, And if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting here where it says it's like another one of those things that we would consider upside down because if these, if these virtues dwell in you, you shall be fruitful and not barren in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems like to my human mind that it should be the other way around. If I, if I have knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I will move out and be neither unfruitful nor barren. But that's not what it says. And I think what it means is the one who follows Jesus, our Lord, the closest, is the one who will have the most full knowledge of him. And isn't that really what we want? I'm going to close my remarks with uh, the reading of Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's continue to seek for the knowledge and the wisdom of God. So I think it's time for prayer. And uh, Zach, I'm going to ask you to pray. But before, do we have any request, prayer requests this morning? Yes. What's her name? Okay. Uh, pray for Jane, who's in the hospital with heart problems. Mike? Okay. Mike has a friend that uh, was killed yesterday with a large family, and we need to pray for him. Anyone else? Yes, Phil? Uh, our daughter, Michelle, is in Iraq. She's broken out with poison ivy, really bad. And so she needs wisdom for the resolve, but she needs help for Okay. Pray for Phil's son, uh, daughter, Michelle, and her health needs and her need of wisdom. Anyone else? Yeah, Marcia. I'd like to ask for prayer for the Davis family, um, which would be Joseph's aunt passed away. The Davis family? Yes, Susan Davis passed away. Okay, pray for the Davis family and their loss. Karen? Okay. Um, Karen's sister-in-law 
Rama Winters lost her husband to COVID recently.
Number 628. 628.
welcome to Cornerstone this morning. We're thankful for each one that's here. For those of you that have not been here before, you're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that we could share the Bible together and open up the Word of God. We invite you to open up to Luke chapter 17 and 18. We're going to be focusing there at the beginning. last few weeks in our Sunday school classes, we have been in chapters two and three of the book of Revelation. We've been looking at the seven letters that were written to the churches. And uh, in our class, the, uh, a great chart was created that kind of charts out those seven letters and shows the parallelism of each of those letters and all the, the, th the things that were so much alike in each one of those and how they were structured. And the, at the end of each one of those, was the blessings that were given or to be given to those who are the overcomers or those who overcome. Some of those kinds of blessings were things about to be able to eat of the tree of life and to not be hurt by the second death and to, to be given to eat of that hidden manna and be given a white stone and given a new name and that we would have power over nations and be given the morning star and, and be clothed in white and our names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and, and our names would be confessed by Jesus before God and the angels and, and that his name would be written upon us in the name of his city and all of these amazing promises that were given to the overcomers. And we like to think that, that we would be in, in, that, in that group of overcomers that those promises would be true for us as well. But then we turn to Luke chapter 18, and we read this startling question that I have written up here. This is our title today, Luke chapter 18, 18, 18, 8. Very startling question. And let's turn to that and put it slightly into its context. In Luke 18, 8, He's talking about he was in a parable here, but at the end of that, he says, I will tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, now that's the context of his question, when Jesus comes again upon the earth, he asks a question. And he says, shall he find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes again, will he find faith? faith on the earth. Those, those overcomers. Overcomer means gain the victory. So when Jesus is thinking about, he's looking, he's picturing ahead in, in a future time for us, our future, he says, will, will he, the Son of Man, when he comes again upon the earth, will he find that kind of overcomer, gain, you know, gain the victory kind of faith? Will he find it? Now that's startling. That's unsettling. I want you to ponder that question. That becomes the context or the foundation of everything we like to, to look at here today. Will Jesus find faith 
upon the earth? Or will the deception be so overwhelming that even those that still call themselves Christians will not be known by God because their faith is not real? With all the rapid changes, with all the pressures of influencers and rampant deceptions in our world today, does this question seem more real or possible or personal? What has the last year and a half been like? There have been so many changes. There have been so much pressure. There's been so many things come apart in our world. And the powers of Satan are more obvious than ever. It makes this question more relevant. When Jesus comes again, will he find faith? The gain the victory, overcoming kind of faith. Will Jesus find faith on the earth when he comes again? Or will all of us, or most of us, be so overwhelmed by deception that we no longer have faith? Chapter 17, the first five verses. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come. It is impossible but that offenses will come, but woe unto him with, through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he, be, if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Jesus, what you just said to us is so impossibly high of a standard of the, what you've been calling the kingdom of heaven you have just blown our minds completely to think that we would have, be able to forgive people over and over again on the same day that they had offended us. And they simply blurted out, Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith for that. We need a lot more faith than we have right now to live like that, Lord. The next verse. And the Lord said, If ye had faith... He's going to address their question about faith. Because they're just completely dumbfounded by this thing. Lord, give us a lot. We need a lot more faith than what we have right now to live like that. And Jesus addressed it. And he says, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, which is a very tiny little thing, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. The very simple lesson of that little statement is that your faith is not to be quantified. It's just whether or not you have faith. So that when Jesus asked the question, looking ahead into our future, he says, will he find faith upon the earth? It is not a matter of him thinking he's going to find a certain amount of faith. It's just whether or not it really exists. 
in humans, in people. And we've often probably fallen into that same thing, just like those apostles. And we may have even said it to someone, well, you just need more faith. Boy, that's a good counseling statement, isn't it? <laughs> Biblically, that doesn't mean anything. It's not a question of having more faith. It's just, do you have faith? And do you conduct your life like that? And, and further along that same line is this. Is it my faith that is what would uh, pick up that tree and throw it out in the ocean and plant it on somewhere out there? No, it's, it's a matter of who our faith is in. <laughs> That's what it really matters. It's not that we, we, we must have faith, but that faith is in God himself, who all, has all power, all authority, who, who is everything, who sustains everything, who gives us salvation and, and everything that we need in life and in life eternal. What matters is if we have faith in him. Not that our belief system is so incredible or anything. It's just that it, it's a matter of does it exist? That you really do have faith in God. Now I want to begin to add a few more things here. <clears throat> Because faith is the sort of the center of this, so we'll put the word faith up here. But the, the incredible importance of that is that it's faith in God. Okay? And then we're going to also get over and, and to be talking about salvation. So we're going to add salvation here. <clears throat> and we're going to add servants. Because from the faith that we have in God comes our salvation and then comes our service to God. And over, as we go over into Romans chapter 6, we're going to see that this servants is a matter that we are called servants of righteousness. Almost ran out of room there. Servants of righteousness. We're going to add some more things to this. <clears throat> but he began this passage astounding his disciples, and they blurted out, increase our faith. He says, it's not a matter of increasing it. It's just whether or not you have it. And from that, we know from other passages, for by grace are you saved through faith. Let's say it again. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the grace that saves us. God, through his grace, saves us. But we access that through our faith in, in God. And that's not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. Not of our works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2. So we know that from faith comes. We have access to salvation. And at the same time, he says, I also want you to walk in faith. I want you to serve me. And that serving is going to be in righteousness. He goes on in this chapter 17, <clears throat> after explaining in verse 6 about your faith, and he begins to talk about servants, and he, he starts to explain that which one of you, you have a servant, and they've been out plowing or been out feeding animals or whatever they've been doing, and they come in 
do you tell them to go sit down you're going to feed them no that's not how you do it you ask them to go get the, the meal ready so that you as the master can eat and you say after i'm done then you can then you can have something to eat so that's how it, that's how it really works <clears throat> but then he goes on and he says in verse 9, Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, or I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. He was setting up the, the concept there of a servant <clears throat> who should never think, I am such a good servant of God in the kingdom of heaven. Look at me. I should be commended. Well, that's not the humble attitude that God wants. We're to be a servant who would look at, I'm doing everything that God has asked me to do that I know of. I am unprofitable in it. And in humility, we serve God. Not that we are so great as being a servant. Well, let's go on. And he goes on in, in this passage then, and he, he meets ten lepers, and uh, they cry out to him that, they, that he would have mercy upon them, that, that they might be healed. And uh, he says, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they turn, all ten of them turn and, and head for the priests. And instantly, because they, they, they obeyed the command, they instantly were healed. And nine went on to the priests, and one turned back to thank Jesus, to glorify God in all that had happened, to be instantly healed, visibly from leprosy? And Jesus asked, you know, where's the other nine? <clears throat> but this one did come. And he said in verse 19, he said unto them, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made, hath made thee whole. Faith brings us salvation, brings us to a, being a servant in righteousness. And in that, <clears throat> in that salvation, we also find wholeness, Wholeness can mean so many different things. But in this world, this corrupt world, this faithless world, to find salvation and to find wholeness, what an incredible opportunity that is. Then he goes on here. And Jesus, and when he, verse 20, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall he say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And so he's talking to these men, and he's explaining that the kingdom of God is, go, is not going to be so visible right then, but it will be visible later. And he, he's going to switch back and forth just a little bit here. He said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. So he's referring to a coming time, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It will be so apparent. Right now the kingdom of heaven is inside of us as he was standing there on the earth. But there'll come a day when the kingdom of heaven, the, sun, the day of the Son of Man, will be as brilliant as from one end to the other. There, it will be no one will miss it when the second coming of Christ comes. 
But first, 25, he must, be, he must suffer many things. So he kind of switched back to the current moment at that time when this was being written, that he would die upon the cross for us. He must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And then he's going to reflect back further to the time of Noah and the time of Lot as he's thinking about the second coming of himself. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You've read that account. How many people were on the ark? Eight. Will he find faith upon the earth? Jesus is connecting to his second coming is going to be like the days of Noah. And the people were busy. They were giving in marriage. They were doing their business and building things and all these things. None of those things were sinful, but they had never turned and had faith in God. Eight people were saved. And all the rest were destroyed. And he goes on further, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. How many people were with Lot? Okay, we have one answer that says two. Any other answers? I see four. Any other answers? Three. Okay, so, do you agree with Tom now? Yeah, okay. Lot and his wife left and two daughters. But his wife turned back. And she was turned to a pillar of salt, and she was at the verge of being rescued out of that situation, and she turned around because she lacked faith. So there were three that left. Shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus, talking about his second coming, asked the question, Will he find faith on the earth? And he just was talking about that and likening that time to the time of Noah and to the time of Lot. That makes it sound like we're in a pretty desperate situation. In a way. You know, there's been so many books written and talked about when the rapture comes, there's going to be millions of people that will disappear. Maybe not. Maybe the world will have become so corrupted, so deceived, so overrun by Satan that who would be left that has faith in God? I'm not totally sure how to answer all of these questions. These things are just... This this is just heavy thoughts upon my, my heart. So what was Jesus asking when he asked this question? 
What is he seeing in the future? And what he's calling us to is to be servants of righteousness who know how to walk in faith, even in trials and testings. Hmm. I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 6. We'll try to quickly bring this to some conclusion. Romans chapter 6. Fascinating verses here. Pick it up in verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, this begins to spark in my mind a picture of an overcomer, one who has gained the victory. He says, don't let sin be the reigning force, the king in your life. You are no longer, you are dead unto sin. You are alive unto God. You are to be an overcomer, not letting sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we're going to add over here, <clears throat> overcomers, <clears throat> and uh, yieldedness, <clears throat> which we could also put those on either side of the board here in reality. But this, this passage is describing people who, who say, I have faith in God. And God says, I don't have to be dead to sin anymore. I can be alive unto him. I don't have to be overwhelmed by sin. I don't have to be overtaken by Satan. I can be an overcomer because of him. And so he's describing, the, and to yield yourselves, to yield everything about your body and about your life unto God as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall not, verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You're an overcomer, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then, shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know ye not, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. That hits pretty hard. Who have we yielded ourselves to? If we have yielded ourselves unto Satan and unto the temptations of sin, it says we have become a servant of Satan. Or have we yielded ourselves unto God and become a servant of righteousness? He tells us here. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. That's a person who acts in faith, believing what God has said, and determined to live for God and be his servant. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity. Even so now, yield your members' servants 
to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then? And those things were of you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we have to add eternal life also over here. I'd like to also turn to two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant. The context of this is the idea that you were called into the Lord and you're a slave here in, in Rome. That, that, that's what he's referring to. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant or a slave is the Lord's free man. Then in contrast to that, he's talking to free people and says, Likewise also he that, what is it, that is called being free, being a, a not slave person, being a free person, a free citizen in Rome, he is Christ's servant. So in Christ you become the Lord's free man and you also become Christ's servant. In verse 23, you are bought with the price. Be not ye the servants of men. So we're the Lord's free man. And you are bought with the price of Jesus Christ. These are some descriptions, some things that we learn about what it means, what faith does through us, bringing us all the elements of salvation, bringing us all the elements of being a servant of righteousness, a free man in Christ. But Jesus still asks that question. When he comes again, is he going to find faith on the earth? <clears throat> have, have you ever been tested in your faith? You trials and testing sometimes just for the purpose well, maybe I shouldn't say just for the purpose. Does God, has God ever tested you? What about Job? Remember how the first book, chapter of Job starts out? And the whole picture is, <clears throat> Satan is saying, hey, what about that guy? You, you mess with him, he's, he's going to throw you out the door. And God says, consider my servant Job. Do what you wish, but don't take his life. And Satan did. was a test of his faith. In all of those circumstances that came upon Job, was he going to throw away his faith in God? Has that kind of thing ever happened to you? I dare to say many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. 
I want to put it in a special context, <clears throat> special because of what happens, what is going to happen Friday night. Many of you know we're going to have an election in this congregation Friday night to possibly bring a minister and a deacon into this congregation. <clears throat> I want to very quickly just reflect back to 1994. I knew there was an election coming in Inglewood. And the Lord's hand was upon me. And I was arguing. There's no way. That, that doesn't make a bit of sense at all. I don't have time for that kind of thing, to become a minister at Inglewood. Are you kidding? I've only been married for 16 years, and we have five kids. We have three that are in their teenage years. We have two that are in their grade school years. We have two businesses that we're running. Lord, this makes no sense. I have no time to think about preparing sermons and becoming a minister. It's not possible, and yet it happened. Then I really began to argue with God. All the same stuff. And what the Lord convinced me of was, if you are willing to serve, then I will help and take care of so many other things. And in some very dramatic ways, he showed me that. That he could make my efforts more efficient or more productive. Was I willing to walk in faith? It was a test. 2005, I had a head injury. And for six years, I was not able to swallow very effectively. For the first couple of years, it was the worst. And somewhere in the middle of that worst of those times, I had a phone call from a congregation to the east of us in another state. I said, would you come and do an extended weekend on, a, on this particular theme? I said, I'll think about it. In my heart, I was thinking, there's no, I can't even get through the day hardly. How could I go and be effective or be anything to, for those people? And a few days later, I had another phone call from a congregation many states away to the west. Would you come and hold revival meetings? The first one asked for a time in February. The second one asked for a time in March, the next month. Jesus wants to know, do I have faith? And I decided, I said, Lord, I don't have the strength for this. I can't get through the day. But I'll go. But it's only in your strength. And I called them back and said, I'll come. Thinking, this is the stupidest thing I have ever agreed to do. But I, I knew <laughs> that he would give me what I needed at the moment. When Jesus is looking for faith, he's not looking for a quantity of faith. He's looking for, is your faith real? Do you really believe in me? Will you really walk? When it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, are you willing to walk? and to go and to serve. And I just challenge each of you to be thinking 
about this election. For those that may be elected and for the fact that the Spirit of God may be on your heart and that you will find yourself in that position. Be willing to serve. Because the Lord will supply all of your needs. Let's have a song. moment, but if you'd open your uh, uh, hymn books to 460, I will simply read <clears throat> this, and then we will actually read ver uh, the song number marked 461, and maybe someone can teach me how to sing 460 after service today, because I don't know how, but I wanted to share these words with you. We'll just simply read the first verse of 460. I tried to find life's mysteries just by the reason of my mind to see, but void remained between me and where I longed to be, till childlike faith there built a bridge for me. My faith still holds on to Christ of Calvary, O blessed rock of ages cleft for me. I gladly place my trust in things I cannot see. My faith still holds on to the Christ of Calvary. I confess that you are not always the center of my thoughts, the focus of my attention. Where is that faith that can hold my life together? And please read this with me. I shall never leave you nor forsake you. Such is the promise of our Lord, even when we remember him not. But when our problems seem overwhelming and the parade of things undone chases sleep away, where is that faith which can free us from our anxieties and fear? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace is the gift of our Lord to calm our fears. But when the evil of the world seems everywhere, is God able? Will my faith in him hold? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is the bold promise of God. Thank you, Lord, that your word and your faithful and true. You have never abandoned us to our own foolishness, nor has our trust in you ever led us astray. In that assurance, therefore, we dare to say, our faith indeed still holds. And we'll just simply, simply sing a verse, seek ye first. Seek ye first, son of me. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, our Father in heaven, the creator of all things, the king that we need, our savior, and that you have given us 
the promise and the place of eternal life in heaven. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to believe in you. Help us to have faith in you. And on the part that we, where we think we believe something, help us with the part that we don't believe yet. Oh, Father, we lay our lives before you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunities that you give us that we might call a test or might call a trial. We might call it a trauma. Dear Lord, guide us and teach us and empower us. And most of all, help us to have trust in you. Father, we thank you for the expressions of those that are in special need today for prayer. We pray your hand of blessing, your spirit of, of blessing to be upon them for the days ahead when there's so many questions about what is next. Oh, Father, help us for this day, but also to trust you for the future. Father, we thank you for each one that's gathered here today. Pray your, your blessing upon them. Help these thoughts to uh, work through their hearts and to sink deep into their understanding way beyond anything that I could say. Father, we just thank you for the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. Bless this day, this food, <coughs> excuse me. Bless this day, Father, for the, for the word of God and how it will address our needs and show us the way into heaven. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be overcomers. Help us, Father, to be people who have gained the victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> For announcements, who has a special announcement at this time? I believe Brother Bart has sent out an email to welcome anyone to come here tomorrow evening for a time, a come and go time of prayer between 7 and 8 p.m., I believe. 7 between 7.30 and 8.30 tomorrow evening. And uh, prayer for the upcoming election and for our revival meetings that are coming up very soon as well. Friday evening at 7 p.m., we'll be gathering to uh, meet together to uh, process an election. Let's be in prayer for that as well. And uh, let's, we encourage each of you to be 